This Dharma talk by John Sutherland with Sarah Bender, Ghosts into Ancestors 1, was given at Springs Mountain Sangha in Colorado Springs, Colorado, on September 27, 2008. So the matter at hand is turning ghosts into ancestors. And who better to ask about how to turn ghosts into ancestors than the ancestors themselves? So we're going to be working with uh, some practices that are based on ancient Chinese practices. And they come from a time that is the at the very beginning of our way, one of the source springs of our way. Because people understood from the very beginning of our way that ghosts, particularly family ghosts, but in general anything that haunts us, are among the most challenging of companions on the way. And at the same time, that ancestors can be among the greatest gifts of the way. If you can make ancestors of your ghosts, you will find that you are keeping company with uh, beings who have no limitations of time and space. So they can be anywhere at any time. And you will find that when you are weary, you can lean back on them and they will hold you up. And when you are confused, you can read their words or ask them questions, and they will answer. Um, we lost a dear member of this sangha in Mitch Goldbaum this summer, and I was really struck by how many people told me right uh, around the time of his funeral that he was already talking to them, that he had already said things to them that were... Um, particularly wise and particularly funny, as you would expect from Mitch. So that can happen, and um, we can cultivate a relationship with the ancestors in which that is happening more and more. And also when you are joyful, the ancestors will beam at you, and that's a very nice experience to have. So I wanted to talk a little bit tonight just about some, some basics and to give you some method if you want to use it over the next few days. What's a ghost? Well, this idea um, is that a ghost is something that happens after a person dies, that there are, that a person who dies then sort of splits into parts and there's one part that's quite light and airy and sort of just ascends immediately up into heaven. And we don't really have much to do with that part of the dead person anymore. They've gone on to a, another existence entirely. There's another part that's um, heavier and thicker and slower and more entangled in the world, which stays put for a while. And... Part of that can be the aspects of a person that were difficult, that were full of karma, and that's why it's heavier and thicker. 
but it can also be the part of a person who was really um, engaged in life, really part of the world, really involved and, and in the world. And that's the part that we can connect with and, be, and begin to work with in turning into an ancestor. So the ghost would um, leave the tomb and come out and wander around and generally cause mischief among living human beings. And so the first part of the task was to uh, convince the ghost that it really just wanted to stay in the tomb. Please, lie down. You had a long and good life, and it was so busy and full of things. Wouldn't you love to sleep for a while? <laughs> so you, you begin by inviting the ghost to rest, to not have to worry anymore about things. And then um, in one of those sort of magical things that, that, that happens, the ghost begins to become an ancestor because we say, and if you will rest... I will stay here with you for a while. I will keep you company. I will sing you to sleep. I will read you a story. Whatever it is that will help you to relax. So there was a ceremony where, particularly when your parents um, would die or grandparents, you would go into a mourning hut and you would spend time with them. And the idea was that uh, a corpse and a son or daughter of that corpse would go into the morning hut. And after a while, an ancestor and an adult would come out. So within that morning hut, corpse is transformed into ancestor, son or daughter is transformed into autonomous adult. We don't know a lot about what the particular ceremonies were that were performed in the morning hut. It's a little bit of a black box. But in a way, that's a gift because it enables us to find our own ceremonies. And I'll talk a little bit more about that when I talk about method. One of the really brilliant insights of the Chinese was that a ghost is made up of two things that part of the dead person that is heaviest and thickest and most connected to the world and to the world of karma and our feelings and stories about them. A ghost is a collaboration between ourselves and the person who has died. It's an independent thing, separate from the person who has died and separate from ourselves. What that idea does is it allows for the possibility of ghosts changing because we're participating in the ghost. We have a part in it, and we can change that. And if we do, the ghost changes and can become an ancestor. I'll tell you um, a story to talk about this, the way we participate in the making of a ghost. There are two sisters of my acquaintance who had a father who everybody would pretty much agree was pretty difficult. Uh, he died 20-some years ago. And one of the sisters just had an experience where um, she happened to be having lunch with a group of people, which included a, a medium, a woman who can see dead people. 
And so she was going around the table and telling everybody who was, who was around them. And she would say to each person, oh, yeah, Uncle Tim, he's really there for you. He thinks you're fantastic, and you can really rely on him, and he just he wants you to know that everything's okay. And she went around, and there was a sort of positive figure for each person, and then got to the sister and said, oh, oh, dear. Well, your father is right here, but um, he's not your guardian angel. And um, he knows that you want him to say so, to apologize or, or you know, to have, make some kind of acknowledgement of what happened, but he's not going to do that. Being right is more important to him than, than apologizing. So I would just be, you know, be careful. Now, to the sister, that made absolute perfect sense. I mean, that was exactly her experience. The other sister had had the experience of um, really working with her father as a ghost after he died. And for the first year or two after his death, he would come in her dreams in the same kind of difficult, painful way that he used to be when he was alive. And then after a while, as she continued to pay attention to it and work with it, he became a neutral figure in her dreams. And that was a huge shift just to neutrality. And then, a little bit further on, he actually, every once in a while, would come bearing a gift. He became a benevolent figure in her dreams. Two sisters, same father, two completely different ghosts because of the participation of each sister in the making of the ghost. So... um, If we can work with that, if we can work with the stuff that we contribute to the ghost, things can change. And in a sort of perfect symmetry, the Chinese word for the stuff that we have to work with, the stuff that's gooey and cloggy and stagnant and fetid and all of that, is called in Chinese goo. (laughs) So use it. (laughs) What's the goo? What's the goo that we participate in in the making of this ghost? And if we can work with that, ghosts can become ancestors, and then they go to live in the Yellow Springs, which is a watery world under the earth. And once they're living in the Yellow Springs, we can communicate with them in the ways that I'm talking about. And they also go from being sort of lonely figures locked up in tombs by themselves to this whole lovely life that they have down there in the Yellow Springs. So we are freed and they are freed at the same time by this work. And I I want to say um, that, of course, I'm not asking you to necessarily accept this mythology as your mythology, but I think you can see the psychological brilliance of of this. And if you want to understand it in terms of psychology, that's great because it absolutely works that way. Okay, so um, a little bit of method if you want to take this up during this retreat. The first thing to do is to identify who your ghost is that you want to work with. You may have come with an idea of someone or something, and that may stick. That may be indeed what you're going to work with. But for the beginning, at least, keep, keep your eye and your heart open to the possibility that someone surprising might show up 
don't turn that away. If someone surprising shows up, check that out and see if maybe there's something you weren't expecting that's going to happen. These ceremonies were developed for uh, family ghosts. But it doesn't have to be limited to that. It could also be, for example, a family pattern, a sort of legacy or heritage that's difficult for you. Um, for instance, the, the children and grandchildren of survivors of the Holocaust find that the Holocaust is a tremendously strong uh, legacy that gets passed from generation to generation. Alcoholism would be something like that. Um, at the same time, so would uh, a, a valuing of education or a encouraging of creativity. There can be good ghosts as well. A ghost can be someone you really loved, you know, someone, someone who's gone who, who loved you and you felt really connected to and meant a great deal to you. That's, it's pretty easy to make that kind of ghost into an ancestor. Uh, if it's a, a more difficult figure, then it takes a bit more, uh, a bit more time and attention. So it can be a person, it can be a kind of family pattern. Um, every once in a while it can be a living person, but that's trickier because with a living person the relationship isn't fixed yet. There's, it still has more life to be lived and there might be a way that you're intervening too, too soon in the relationship. You have to kind of feel that out. And the one thing I would say is that if you want to work with a living person, you, you have to also ask, what ghost are you for that person? There has to be a reciprocity of relationship. Okay, so the first question is, is who or what? Then the second question is, um, how, what's my goo? What am I contributing to this ghost? And that can take some time to really come to understand that, and a little bit of um, ferocity and courage as well. So use your meditation, use your inquiry, use the koans. I'm going to hand out the koans tonight that we'll be uh, talking about tomorrow in the koan seminar. There might be something in one of the koans that helps you do that inquiry about what you're contributing to the ghost. Uh, use your dreams. You can ask your dreams really simply, what do my dreams want me to know about this ghost? And you can do the same kind of inquiry in your meditation. What does my meditation want me to know about this ghost? So then the third step is to begin to dismantle those, that part of the ghost that we're participating in, to begin to see if we can deconstruct that and let that go. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. We'll see. And to imagine what it would be like without that. If we took the goo away, what would that be like? And when we begin to, to uh, explore that, then we raise the question about, can this become an ancestor? Can this person be an ancestor for me once that goo is untangled? So that's the general arc of things. And um, what I'd like to do is, for those of you who are interested in taking this up and trying it, 
let's talk about it as the week goes on. And as I say, let's, let us uh, design for each of us what the ceremony in the morning hut is, because it will be different for each of us. And please feel free to talk with me and to talk with Sarah about it as the week goes on. And we can, we can ch- find a course together through. And we will uh, end on Saturday night with a ceremony that will, in some symbolic way, mark the transformation of ghost into ancestor. That may not be something that you complete this week, but you can see it as a kind of marking of an intention to continue to work with that and to let that happen. So I'll stop there for now. And Sarah, you wanted to say something? It occurred to me in um, spending time with ghosts and being haunted um, and looking at our Western stories and experiences and stories of on both the on the personal level on the um, relationship level and on the big cultural level that that we have a lot of kinds of ghosts and a lot of kinds of karmic ties and um that it's one uh, wonderful kind of work to do this kind of transformation that Joan's describing and that we also have something that we can do almost on the cellular level that I think parallels and will work hand in hand with that so um Concretely, sitting sitting along, meditating, or walking along, you can get that haunted feeling. You can get that sort of hunch in the shoulders and that tightness, and that feeling of um, you know uneasiness that something familiar and troublesome is picking on you. And I think in our meditation, taking that, um, taking a minute bodily to really give, to turn around and rather than taking that sort of gesture of protection to say, who are you? (laughs) What are you? Um will be, uh, well, as I say, work really nicely hand-in-hand with the work that Joan's talking about. And as I felt my way into this, what felt really helpful to me, because it takes some courage to do this work, was two things that neurology has been discussing, again, you know, pieces of old wisdom rediscovered, that... um, when you feel that haunted feeling, 
it can be really helpful to just touch ground and to feel that you're alive, <laughs> to feel that um, that the ground is still supporting you, that the light is still inside of you. Not that there's that this isn't real by any means, but to just touch for a minute. Okay, I'm here. All right, bring it on. And then the second, so that's a practice of gratitude, actually, but not an imposed gratitude, right? Just a practice of recognition. I'm here. I have what I need. And then, um, along with that, then, facing what is intimately, feeling it inside, then to allow yourself the gesture to offer something. What can I offer here? What can I offer to myself? What can I offer to this ghost? What can I offer to, to in response to the situation? That both of those have a healing power that I think empowers us, encourages us to be able to then do that work of just staying, just being with, so that we can investigate, as Joan was suggesting, what am I, what am I bringing to this? I have one example of that that um, came from uh, Bernie Glassman's book, Bearing Witness, when a group in meditation um, at Auschwitz. Some of you have heard me tell this. It's stuck with me so strongly. A group was sitting where a whole lot of children had died. Um, And it was just so heavy that um, even the, the rabbi who usually had been able to come up with a prayer in almost all of their situations was just uh, stuck, stuck. And everyone just sat in silence for a while. And then um, someone in the back of the group began to sing in German a lullaby. And everyone took up that lullaby and began to sing and the situation turned and opened and something new was possible And possible, I think, partly because in each other's company there is a natural um, awareness that we have each other. So we can have the courage. I think that's it. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I, yeah, I think what the last thing you said is so important that 
We don't have to go off into our separate morning huts to do this work. We can do this work here together in the presence of each other, and we can use the support of each other in the retreat to do that. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this turning into the dark is not a small thing. Not a small thing. And what, what an offering in a time when culturally we are haunted. <laughs> we can offer this. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.